of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Well, hello and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones continuing the Psalm Project, and we are here in book two of the book of Psalms. Remember, it is divided into five books. Book two is often referred to as the Psalms of the Northern Kingdom. It's because much of the material in it is related to the Northern Kingdom. And so we are here today at one of the more... Uh, well-known psalms, Psalm 51. Uh, the title is titled To the Choir Master. It is a psalm of David, and it even gives the occasion for which the psalm was written. And that is when Nathan the prophet went to him, went to David, after he had gone to Bathsheba. If you remember the story of uh, Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David saw this beautiful woman woman bathing, and I will refrain from using bathing jokes with the name Bathsheba. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay, I'll stop there. So, Bathsheba, uh, David has an affair with her. The context would render that not just an affair, not just that he slept with her, um, but there are many that think this would have been some sort of rape. And um, so put put yourself in David's shoes. Now, remember, he has just committed, let's say he's committed rape. What happens after that? He murders someone, not directly, but he causes it to happen. And so those that say <laughs> that someone who commits a horrid, horrific, evil sin, there's no way that person is a Christian. Well, what does the Bible refer to David as the man after God's own heart? <laughs> You're in good company if you have cre- if you have committed grave mistakes, um, but if there is not conviction, that's when you might want to be concerned. If you commit a horrendous sin, which many believers have done, um, if there is conviction, that is the evidence that you are a child of God. I've gone through periods in my life where I've wondered, how can I be a Christian? Am I even a Christian? I've committed these horrific acts, and yet I claim to be a child of God. Well, this is what happened with David. I mean, you can't get much worse than murder and rape. And here he is convicted of his sin. And so this entire psalm is a psalm of repentance. It is a uniquely powerful statement of the depths of sin and repentance. It's probably the most striking of what are referred to as the prayers of penitence, um, I will go back to Psalm 6 or reference Psalm 6. Uh, Psalm 6 is a lament, and it is one of the psalms of uh, penitence. Um, There are seven of them, along with Psalm 32, 38, uh, 51, 6, 102, 130, and 143. And so I've referenced, uh, I've already gone through some of these. We have yet to cover 102, 130, and 143, but here we are at one of the seven psalms of penitence. Um, It is a type of lament. And so let me get into this, and then I will let you know what I've done with the musical setting. But here we are at Psalm 51. This is a Psalm of David, beginning in verse 1. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So there's a lot here. This is a psalm of repentance, obviously. David has um, issued a plea to God for forgiveness. I'm reminded uh, of there are many discussions in Christianity about what repentance is. And there are those that would say, well, it's, it's turning, and they give the you know, you've often seen the picture of someone walking one direction and then turning around and going the other, and that that absolutely is what it is. But many people have the idea that repentance is this one-time event that it happens, and 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 I get what people are saying that that you repent and you don't go back to that sin, and and yes, there's some truth in that, but the fact of the matter is you don't repent one time, you repent and you keep repenting. You keep and continue repenting because we are still here on this earth in our human flesh and there is still a war being waged against us. The battle between spirit and flesh. And we have to daily, uh, hourly, minutely, secondly, we have to continuously repent. So it's not just a matter of repenting once, but do you keep repenting? But here's the key. I asked somebody this one time, do we ask for forgiveness? (laughs) Continually ask for forgiveness. And, And many of us would have the idea, yes, of course, we've sinned. We ask God for forgiveness. So my question then would be, well, has God already forgiven that sin? And the rhetorical answer is yes. He's forgiven all believers' sins, past, present, and future. And nowhere in Scripture do you see that we are to ask for forgiveness over and over again. However, in the heart, 
of being a Christian, in the heart of Christianity, we are to continue repenting, which means we are to continue living in light of the fact that we are already forgiven, but also understanding our great debt that we have. And not a debt because we just because we couldn't pay it, but a debt because we have tried to steal glory from God through our sin. And so do we ask God for forgiveness? Well, no. We've already we've he's already forgiven us, but we continue to repent. So do we need to ask for forgiveness? No, but we need to keep repenting. And there are people that would wrongly think that repenting and asking forgiveness are synonymous, and they are not necessarily. Sometimes they go hand in hand for someone who is um, maybe not a Christian yet, but for those of us who are believers, we are already forgiven. And so this psalm uh, is one that is deep and, and really hits at the heart of repentance. So my point here is that um, asking for forgiveness is not the same as repentance. These are two different uh, things, and sometimes they can go hand in hand. But if you are a child of God, if you are a believer, you are already forgiven. And uh, also another thing to keep in mind, another aspect here is that when this psalm was written, this was before Christ. And so some people would bring up the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, where Jesus himself is modeling how to pray and said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And there are a few things about that. The biggest one being that also is before the cross, Um and I think Jesus in that case also was really speaking to the heart of the matter of uh, repentance uh, in that God does forgive his people. Uh, the, the point here, what I'm driving at is that repentance and seeking forgiveness um, really are two different things. And certainly we do need to, as People as human beings seek forgiveness from God, but when you are a child of God, you are already forgiven. So any remorse that we have for our sin, which we ultimately will commit even after um, becoming a Christian, after our salvation, in our sanctification process, we are not perfect yet. And so, yes, we will uh, sin. And and so there is a heart of um, seeking God's forgiveness that is continuous yet we are already forgiven. But that is part of the heart of repentance. Uh, we know that we're forgiven, and we turn from our sin, and we continue turning from our sin. Let's look at this and break this psalm down, beginning in verse 1, where David here says, Have mercy on me, O God, uh, or some translations, Be gracious to me according to your steadfast love. So David has been guilty of a great sin here in the matter of Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba. Again, that's 2 Samuel 11. You can read that account. And so he pleads for God's mercy in keeping with his promised love for his people. David understands he is one of God's people. So he is crying out for the mercy that is promised to God's people. Mercy. God's forgiveness of sinners really is the result of his mercy. 
Sinners deserve death, but he gives life. And then in verse 2, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. This word specifically means to wash clothes. And so the psalmist's iniquity is like filthy clothes that need to be laundered. And then he says something very telling in verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned. So David committed adultery with Bathsheba and sent her husband to his death. He murdered. So how can he say that he has sinned against God only when, in fact, there were other people involved? The truth is rebellion against God was the root of his sin, and his crime injured people who belonged to God and transgressed a social order that was created by God. And so ultimately, his sin was against God. And he says in verse 4 that he has done what is evil in God's sight. He says, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David recognized that God's anger against him was just. This verse is actually cited by the Apostle Paul in Romans 3, 4. And then he, he says so many telling things in this, this psalm. That's why it is so deep and hits at the heart of repentance. In verse 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. So the Bible clearly teaches that children are sinners. And um, in fact, I will go out on a limb. Well, it's not really going out on a limb. I will tell you something that may seem bold, and it's really not. Um the doctrine that teaches um, at the age of accountability is nowhere in the Bible. It is a godless doctrine. And certainly it is comforting to think of that there might be an, an age of accountability. Uh, for example, when a child dies, um, well, what do we do with that? My personal opinion is that those children are with Christ. But is there any place in Scripture that says that? No. So this age of accountability idea is a human-created doctrine. And um, my personal belief is that those children are with Christ. But that is my personal belief, and I will only submit it as such, not as biblical truth. That is an opinion. <laughs> Uh, I believe God in his mercy would save uh, children. But he says here, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. So children are not born innocent and only later become sinners. That is not a biblical idea. Children need God's salvation. Uh, the Bible teaches, and I believe this, original sin. That is where the idea in, in Calvinism of tulip, total depravity, comes from. That we are radically separated from God. That we are radically depraved. And we have this idea that we were a zero, and I've said this before, that we were, that we were somehow maybe, God's a ten, and we were somehow maybe a six or a seven, and God made us better. And that maybe some people are even twos or threes, but we're better than them, and God made us better. No, the, the fact of the matter is everyone is equally a zero. 
we are totally and radically depraved, evil. You, and, and, you know, people that argue against Calvinism would say maybe that there, that means you're saying there is no choice. No, absolutely there is a choice. The problem is our choice is always sin. Apart from Christ, we will always choose sin, period, end of story. And I like how Paul Washer says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The issue is not just that we have sinned. The issue is that we have never done anything but sin. That is who we are by nature. Every millisecond of every day apart from Christ, we are in sin. And so the idea is that um, we inherited this sin nature from Adam. That's why it's called original sin. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of the dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In other words, through Adam, the first Adam, as scripture says, through Adam, humanity inherited this sin nature. And then, as we have often heard of Jesus Christ referred to as the second Adam, through the second Adam, those who are God's people inherited the righteous nature, a new nature. But our original nature, our original sin, <laughs> comes from Adam, and because of that, we are ultimately depraved, radically depraved, brought forth in iniquity. Scripture here says we, we were even conceived in sin, so there's no way around it. Every single person. We either believe all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God or we don't. And so if we say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we have to include even babies in that. We are all in sin But the good, the good news, the hope is that through Jesus Christ, there is righteousness. And so when someone tries to argue and say that humanity is, you know, mostly good or somewhat good, uh, that is counter to Scripture. Scripture teaches otherwise. Moving on. Verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. That is truth and wisdom at the center of one's being. And then I love this in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. The allusion here is to Leviticus 14, 6, and 7, where the cleansing of the leper is described. Listen to this. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop, and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. 
And so this isn't a metaphor here, but he is saying, God, cleanse me, make me clean. He says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Some of us are familiar with the hymn, whiter than snow. This is where that idea comes from. And this may be also an allusion to Numbers 19.19, where instructions are given for ritual washing after contact with a dead person. And so uh, that says, and the clean person shall sprinkle it on the unclean and the third day and on the seventh day. Thus on the seventh day, he shall cleanse him and he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. And at evening, he shall be clean. So this could be a, a reference to that. And then in verse 10, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, created me a clean heart, O God. Create. Because we don't have one, so it needs to be created. And so the verb used here is the same used in Genesis 1-1 for the creation of the world. And the psalmist knows that the redirection of his desires and his thoughts can only come about through the, uh, the intervention of God. Uh, again, this is repentance. And then he he's, speaks in verse 11, uh, surprisingly, about the Holy Spirit. He says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, the Old Testament doesn't make a full disclosure of the personhood of the Holy Spirit, but David understands that his spiritual well-being depends on God's presence with him. And he fears that the Spirit may be taken away because the Spirit is holy and he is sinful. And then in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. David had suffered from a spiritual dullness here that led to his moral bankruptcy, if you will. And to, present, to prevent this disaster in the future, he prays for joy. And specifically the joy that he had at the time of his salvation. And then he says, if that happens, then I will teach transgressors your ways. And so if forgiven, the psalmist promises to use his life to help others find forgiveness. And in verse 14, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. David has previously spoken of, of God's justice in, con in condemning sin in verse 4. And now the same justice overcomes sin and condemnation through grace. And this is explained in Romans 3, 21 through 26. Listen to this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so David here explicitly states that he will sing aloud of the righteousness and the justice of God. He places those side by side. God is just, yet his justice was poured out on Jesus Christ for us. And so in his mercy, 
he forgives us. Verse 16, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The Bible values heartfelt obedience, and we've seen that some in the book of Psalms already, but it values heartfelt obedience above outward religious conformity. And Micah 6, 6 through 8 is one of those that we're familiar with that, that speaks of this. How God values what is in the heart over what is uh, the outward appearance. And then in verse 18 and 19, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Again, he references Zion and the people of God. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. The restoration of the king leads to a blessing for his people. I'm reminded in this this psalm of confession, this psalm of repentance, uh, 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there is a... um, there, there is something that we have to do there. In, in other words, uh, to receive this mercy, something is required of us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Well, what does that mean? And, and many Catholics would interpret that as going to a priest and confessing, and that's not what it means. But it's understanding that in our human nature, we are fallen, we are sinful. And it's living with that constant awareness that our human and fleshly nature is sinful. And as we confess that, as we realize that, we acknowledge it before God, and he forgives us. I think it's to truly understand our salvation, we need to understand who we are first. Not only who God is, but who we are. That we need to hit rock bottom, or at least understand that we are at rock bottom. We are the lowest of the low. We are sinful and radically depraved. And we need to understand that. And even after our salvation, continuously acknowledge that God has raised us up from that and given us the righteousness of Christ. And so, yes, there may be times where we are to confess our sins, maybe to one another or to God. But also understand that we are already, for if we're people of God, if we're children of God, we are already forgiven for those sins. But confession is right. It is right to confess our sins to God and understand that we are sinning against him and him alone, even if other people are involved. And then confessing to other people really is sort of our um, making those relationships right. If those other people are involved in our sin and we have somehow wronged them, then our confession to them is trying to restore those relationships between brother, brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is a very deep psalm. I have said it in a slow, kind of a somber setting. And um, so uh, it turned out to be a great musical setting, but it, again, just the heart of this psalm, listen to the text of this, and the, uh, the heart of repentance is seen 
in this psalm. So, here is Psalm 51. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.
singing of your righteousness. Open now my lips, O Lord, from my mouth will praise be poured. Sacrifice you Your altar lay.